The mountain was so high that the clouds hung below the serrated cone cutting through the white mist. The bird placed Miriam on the sharpest rock of this lofty peak, which seemed to stab into her back. Her slim naked body shook violently, shuddering with cold and fear. Without warning, the phoenix began to change, sprouting coal-black feathers, its white head turned to darkest ebony, and its beak lengthened into a pair of bloody pincers, the phoenix screeched, jarring heaven and earth, and all the other birds fled away in fear. Meriem was terrified. I know it wants meat, she thought. It must have meat, so it must want to eat my flesh. First it drank my milk, now it's my flesh it wants to devour. The giant bird plunged its bloody beak between her thighs, into that disgusting and accursed place of sin. I'm just imagining it, Meriem reassured herself. It's just a nightmare, that's all. It can't be real. But this thought brought her no comfort. Miriam struggled to push the bird's coal-black head away from her thighs, but the phoenix was too strong for her. It took no notice of her tiny hands, but kept digging into her, ripping out pieces of her flesh. Suddenly, in a flash, the bird's head became human, and she saw a man's face covered with a dark growth. Miriam recognized her uncle with his black beard. "'Uncle, please give me back what you've torn out,' she begged. The bird with the human head and bearded face gave her the mangled pieces of flesh and flew off into the heavens. Miriam was left alone on top of the mountain. She gathered the pieces one by one and put them back where they belonged. Each piece adhered to its place and healed immediately— with a start, Meriem suddenly awoke. I don't want to wake up, she thought. I don't ever want to wake up. Her dream had frightened her, but the reality was more horrifying. She opened her eyes, the eyes that everybody in the village talked about. Large, unusual eyes, where a thousand and one different shades of green and hazel blended. Those unseeing eyes which had inspired admiration in some, and in others, enmity. Her grandmother, before she died, had often embraced her, saying, This girl's eyes outshine the sun. Miriam realized she had been clasping the place between her thighs so tightly with both hands that it hurt. In one respect, at least, it was good to be awake. At least she no longer felt so afraid— she had wiped the thought of her uncle from her mind. Now it was the phoenix that replaced him in her memory. She no longer remembered the hut by the vineyard at the edge of the village where she had gone to take her uncle his food. She no longer recollected how the man had thrown himself on her and violated her, nor how she had fainted, nor even later when she had come to her senses how she had rushed out of the hut and ran madly down the road. It was all buried deep in the shadows of her mind. Two young men had found her, near the graveyard, her skin scratched by thorn bushes, dried blood on her legs. Delirious with fright, she had fluttered like a wounded bird. They carried her through the village marketplace and brought her home, where everyone was stunned into silence. Too afraid to discuss the incident, Meriem's family had locked her in the damp and dingy outhouse they called the barn. Meriem spoke to no one about the rape in the vineyard hut, nor did she reveal the identity of her attacker. In fact, she began to doubt it had ever happened. Perhaps it had just been a dream. 
Her memory was blurred, and she could not remember what she had done after regaining her senses. It was all so confused, so impossible to think of, though she could not imagine ever saying uncle to him again. She thrust the event to the farthest corner of her mind. Yet even there, out of conscious reach, it still lay lurking, ready to surface again in her dreams. The barn where her thin mattress lay on the ground was dark. Feeble beams of light from the courtyard flickered through the cracks in the aged wooden door and the tiny hole in the ceiling. In the dimness, the shapes of discarded saddles, saddlebags, halters, harnesses, a pitchfork abandoned in a corner, bundles arranged in rows on the wooden shelves, a bag used to store dried phyllo dough, thin sheets of sun-dried grape pulp, and grain sacks, were all indistinguishable, but Maryam knew by heart the place of each and every one of them. She had spent her entire life in this place on the shores of Lake Van, this place half town, half village. She knew each house, each tree, each bird there, every detail of the abandoned Armenian house. Two stories high in which they lived was stamped on her mind, the granary, the simple bathroom, the earthen oven, the stable, the chicken coop, the garden, the poplars and the courtyard. Even with her eyes closed, she could easily find the smallest thing, as if she had put it there herself. On the wooden door of their house were two knockers, one big, one small. The larger knocker was used by the men, and the smaller one by the women who visited the house. The women of the household understood from the sound who was at the door, and when they heard the banging of the bigger knocker, they had just enough time to cover themselves for the male visitor. Since Meriem had never left the village or even seen the other side of the hill that was always there in front of her, she sometimes thought she knew nothing of the world. But this did not bother her. After all, she could go to the city of Istanbul any time she liked. Whenever people talked about some acquaintance or other, they always seemed to remark, she went to Istanbul, or he came from Istanbul. Miriam was certain that it lay just beyond the distant hill. She had always believed if she climbed to the top, she would see the golden city about whose glories the villagers never tired of telling. To go to a city so near might not have been difficult. But now it was quite impossible. Quite apart from going to Istanbul just over the hill, now she could not go even to the fountain, the bakery from which she used to fetch bread, the store full of sweet-smelling, colorful cloth she had been taken to by her elders, or the public bath where once a week they used to spend the whole day. She was now imprisoned in the barn into which her family had thrust her, then locked the door. An outcast. She was in solitary confinement. Miriam could not even go to make water with her aunts and female cousins any more. On summer evenings, after the evening meal, the women used to gather in the far corner of the backyard, squat down and urinate, gossiping together all the while. She remembered the evening when everyone else had finished, but her gentle splashes continued without stopping. Listen to that, her aunt had laughed. Miriam's so young, yet she has so much pee. Oh, mother, her daughter Fatma objected. What's the connection between being young and peeing? Miriam had no mother. The poor woman had died a few days after giving birth to her. Despite the protests of Gulizar, the village's elderly midwife, who knew how little strength her mother had left, 
Various treatments had been inflicted on her. She was hung upside down by her ankles, breathed on by the village imam, and subjected to the many folk remedies prescribed by all and sundry. After a few days she had expired and was laid to rest in the old overgrown graveyard outside the village, the haunt of snakes and centipedes. In the afternoons, Meryem's aunts and stepmother would lie on their beds in the two-story stone house, resting their heads on soft cushions they chatted for hours. With the exception of her mother's twin sister, all of Meryem's aunts were fat, their buxom bodies bulging in every direction without any definite shape. No longer could Meryem listen to their gossip, join them in the garden, or share their meals in the kitchen. She had no right even to eat the fish from the lake. In fact, the waters of Lake Van were so alkaline no fish could live there, but the mullet caught near Erzish, where the river flows into the lake, were delicious. Canned fish were eaten throughout the year. Meryem was now cut off from everything that might be termed enjoyment. Her father's third wife, Dunay, brought her food occasionally, and she was permitted to relieve herself in a secluded corner of the garden. But that was all. She had no other link with the outside world, and no idea what was to become of her. Once or twice, Meryem had plucked up the courage to ask Dunay, who was near to her in age, about this matter, but always received the same malevolent reply. You know the punishment for what you did. This only served to frighten her more. The next time Dunay came, she mentioned Istanbul. Miriam had not seen her father since the incident when the sinful part of her body had been violated. Her father was quiet and withdrawn, and her uncle dominated the family. No one, not even Miriam's father, dared to speak freely in front of him. He was highly regarded, not only...